0: Section 16 of The Letters of Mark Twain Complete This is a LibriVox recording All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Recording by James K White The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain Volume 2 Chapter 15 Letters from Hartford 1875 Much Correspondence with Howells Orion Clemens had kept his job with Bliss only a short time. His mental make-up was such that it was difficult for him to hold any position long. He meant to do well, but he was unfortunate in his efforts. His ideas were seldom practical. His nature was yielding and fickle. He had returned to Keokuk presently and being convinced there was a fortune in chickens had prevailed upon his brother to purchase for him a little farm not far from the town but the chicken business was not lively and orion kept the mail hot with manuscripts and propositions of every sort which he wanted his brother to take under advisement certainly to mark twain orion clemens was a trial the letters of the latter show that scarcely one of them but contains the outline of some rainbow chasing scheme Full of wild optimism and the certainty that somewhere just ahead lies the pot of gold only now and then there was a letter of abject humiliation and complete surrender when some golden vision some iridescent soap bubble had vanished at his touch such depression did not last by sunrise he was ready with a new dream new enthusiasm and with a new letter inviting his brother sam's interest and investment Yet his fear of incurring his brother's displeasure was pitiful, regardless of the fact that he constantly employed the very means to ensure that result. At one time Clemens made him sign a sworn agreement that he would not suggest any plan or scheme of investment for the period of twelve months. Orion must have kept this agreement. He would have gone to the stake before he would have violated an oath, but the stake would have probably been no greater punishment than his sufferings that year. On the whole, Samuel Clemens was surprisingly patient and considerate with Orion, and there was never a time that he was not willing to help. Yet there were bound to be moments of exasperation, and once, when his mother or sister had written, suggesting that he encourage his brother's efforts, he felt moved to write at considerable freedom. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and Mrs. Moffat in Fredonia, New York. Hartford, Sunday, 1875. My dear mother and sister, I saw Governor Newell today and he said he was still moving in the matter of Sammy's appointment as a West Point cadet and would stick to it till he got a result of a positive nature one way or the other. But thus far, he did not know whether to expect success or defeat. Ma, whenever you need money, I hope you won't be backward about saying so you can always have it we stint ourselves in some ways but we have no desire to stint you and we don't intend to either i can't encourage orion nobody can do that conscientiously for the reason that before one's letter has time to reach him he is off on some new wild-goose chase would you encourage in literature a man who the older he grows the worse he writes would you encourage orion in the glare and insanity of studying law if he were packed and crammed full of law it would be worthless lumber to him for his is such a capricious and ill-regulated mind that he would apply the principles of the law with no more judgment than a child of ten years i know what i'm saying i laid one of the plainest and simplest of legal questions before orion once and the helpless and hopeless mess he made of it was absolutely astonishing nothing aggravates me so much as to have orion mention law or literature to me well i cannot encourage him to try the ministry because he would change his religion so fast that he would have to keep a traveling agent under wages to go ahead of him to engage pulpits and board for him i cannot conscientiously encourage him to do anything but potter around his little farm and put in his odd hours contriving new and impossible projects at the rate of 365 a year which is his customary average he says he did well in hannibal now there's a man who ought to be entirely satisfied with the grandeurs emoluments and activities of a hen farm if you ask me to pity orion i can do that i can do it every day and all day long but one can't encourage quicksilver because the instant you put your finger on it it isn't there no i am saying too much he does stick to his literary and legal aspirations and he naturally would select the very two things which he is wholly and preposterously unfitted for if i ever become able i mean to put orion on a regular pension without revealing the fact that it is a pension that is best for him let him consider it a periodical loan and pay interest out of the principal. Within a year's time he would be looking upon himself as a benefactor of mine in the way of furnishing me a good permanent investment for money and that would make him happy and satisfied with himself. If he had money, he would share with me in a moment and I have no disposition to be stingy with him. Affectionately, Sam sends Love the new orleans plan was not wholly dead at this time howells wrote near the end of january that the matter was still being debated now and then but was far from being decided upon he hoped to go somewhere with mrs howells for a brief time in march he said clemens in haste replied to w d howells in boston hartford january 26, 1875. my dear howells when mrs clemens read your letter she said well then wherever they go in march the direction will be southward and so they must give us a visit on the way i do not know what sort of control you may be under but when my wife speaks as positively as that i am not in the habit of talking back and getting into trouble situated as i am i would not be able to understand now how you could pass by this town without feeling that you were running a wanton risk and doing a dare-devil thing i consider it settled that you are to come in march and i would be sincerely sorry to learn that you and mrs howells feel differently about it the piloting material has been uncovering itself by degrees until it has exposed such a huge hoard to my view that a whole book will be required to contain it if i use it so. I have agreed to write the book for bliss the book idea was later given up for the time being i won't be able to run the articles in the atlantic later than the september number for the reason that a subscription book issued in the fall has a much larger sale than if issued at any other season of the year it is funny when i reflect that when i originally wrote you and proposed to do from six to nine articles for the magazine the vague thought in my mind was that six might exhaust the material and nine would be pretty sure to do it or rather it seems to me that that was my thought can't tell at this distance but in truth nine chapters don't now seem to more than open up the subject fairly and start the yarn to wagon i have been sick abed several days for the first time in twenty one years how little confirmed invalids appreciate their advantages i was able to read the english edition of the greville memoirs through without interruption take my meals in bed neglect all business without a pang and smoke eighteen cigars a day i try not to look back upon these twenty-one years with a feeling of resentment and yet the partialities of providence do seem to me to be slathered around as one may say WITHOUT THAT GRAVITY AND ATTENTION TO DETAIL WHICH THE REAL IMPORTANCE OF THE MATTER WOULD SEEM TO SUGGEST. YOURS EVER, MARK The New Orleans idea continued to haunt the letters. The thought of drifting down the Mississippi so attracted both Clemens and Howells that they talked of it when they met, and wrote of it when they were separated. Howells, beset by uncertainties, playfully tried to put the responsibility upon his wife once he wrote she says in the noblest way well go to new orleans if you want to so much you know the tone i suppose it will do if i let you know about the middle of february but they had to give it up in the end howells wrote that he had been under the weather and on half work the whole winter he did not feel that he had earned his salary he said or that he was warranted in taking a three weeks pleasure trip Clemens offered to pay all the expenses of the trip, but only indefinite postponement followed. It would be seven years more before Mark Twain would return to the river, and then not with Howells. In a former chapter, mention has been made of Charles Warren Stoddard, whom Mark Twain had known in his California days. He was fond of Stoddard, who was a facile and pleasing writer of poems and descriptive articles. During the period that he had been acting as Mark Twain's secretary in London, he had taken pleasure in collecting for him the news reports of the celebrated Tishborn claimant case, then in the English courts. Clemens thought of founding a story on it, and did, in fact, use the idea, though the American claimant, which he wrote years later, had little or no connection with the Tishborn episode. To C.W. started. Hotford. February 1, 1875. Dear Charlie, all right about the Tishborne scrapbooks. Send them along when convenient. I mean to have the Beecher Tilton trial scrapbook as a companion. I am writing a series of seven-page articles for the Atlantic at twenty dollars a page, but as they do not pay anybody else as much as that, I do not complain though at the same time i do swear that i am not content however the awful respectability of the magazine makes up i have cut your articles about san marco out of a new york paper joe twitcher saw it and brought it home to me with loud admiration and sent it to howells it is too bad to fool away such good literature in a perishable daily journal do remember us kindly to lady hardy and all that rare family my wife and i so often have pleasant talks about them ever your friend samuel l clemens the price received by mark twain for the mississippi papers as quoted in this letter furnishes us with a realizing sense of the improvement in the literary market with the advent of a flood of cheap magazines and the sunday newspaper the Atlantic page probably contained about a thousand words, which would make his price average, say, two cents per word. Thirty years later, when his fame was not much more extended, his pay for the same matter would have been fifteen times as great, that is to say, at the rate of thirty cents per word. But in that early time there were no Sunday magazines, no literary magazines at all except the Atlantic and Harper's, and a few fashion periodicals. Probably there were newsstands, but it is hard to imagine what they must have looked like without the gay pictorial cover femininity that to-day pleases and elevates the public and makes author and artist affluent. Clemens worked steadily on the river chapters, and Howells was always praising him and urging him to go on. At the end of January he wrote, "'You're doing the science of piloting splendidly. Every word's interesting.' And don't you drop the series till you've got every bit of anecdote and reminiscence into it. To W. D. Howells in Boston Hartford, February 10, 1875 My dear Howells, your praises of my literature gave me the solidest gratification, but I never did have the fullest confidence in my critical penetration. And now your verdict on S., has knocked what little I did have gully west i didn't enjoy his gush but i thought a lot of his similes were ever so vivid and good but it's just my luck every time i go into convulsions of admiration over a picture and want to buy it right away before i've lost the chance some wretch who really understands art comes along and damns it but i don't mind i would rather have my ignorance than another man's knowledge Because I have got so much more of it. I send you number five today. I have written and rewritten the first half of it three different times, yesterday and today, and at last Mrs. Clemens says it will do. I never saw a woman so hard to please about things she doesn't know anything about. Yours ever, Mark. Of course, the reference to his wife's criticism in this is tenderly playful, as always of a pattern with the severity which he pretends for her in the next to mrs w d howells in boston 1875 dear mrs howells mrs clemens is delighted to get the pictures and so am i i can perceive in the group that mr howells is feeling as i so often feel viz., well no doubt i am in the wrong though i do not know how or where or why But anyway, it will be safest to look meek and walk circumspectly for a while and not discuss the thing. And you look exactly as Mrs. Clemens does after she has said, Indeed, I do not wonder that you can frame no reply, for you know only too well that your conduct admits of no excuse, palliation, or argument. None." i shall just delight in that group on account of the good old human domestic spirit that pervades it bother these family groups that put on a state aspect to get their pictures taken in we want a heliotype made of our eldest daughter how soft and rich and lovely the picture is mr howells must tell me how to proceed in the matter truly yours samuel l clemens in the next letter we have a picture of Susie Clemens's third birthday, certainly a pretty picture, and as sweet and luminous and tender to-day as it was forty years ago, as it will be a hundred years hence, if these lines should survive that long. Footnote. This spelling of the name, S-U-S-Y, was adopted somewhat later and much preferred. It appears as S-U-S-I-E in most of the earlier letters end of footnote the letter is to her uncle charles langdon the charlie of the quaker city atwater was associated with the langdon coal interests in elmira the play is of course the gilded age to charles langdon in elmira march nineteenth, eighteen 1875 dear charlie livy after reading your letter used her severest form of expression about mr atwater to wit she did not approve of his conduct this made me shudder for it was equivalent to alice Spalding saying mr atwater is a mean thing or reverend thomas beecher's saying damn that atwater or my saying i wish atwater was 300 million miles in blank however livy does not often get into one of these furies god be thanked in brooklyn baltimore washington cincinnati st louis and chicago the play paid me an average of nine hundred dollars a week in smaller towns the average is four hundred to five hundred dollars this is susie's birthday lizzie brought her in at eight thirty this morning before we were up hooded with a blanket red curl papers in her hair a great red japonica in one hand for livy and a yellow rosebud nestled in violets for my buttonhole in the other and she looked wonderfully pretty she delivered her memorials and received her birthday kisses livy laid her japonica down to get a better holt for kissing which susie presently perceived and became thoughtful then said sorrowfully turning the great deeps of her eyes upon her mother don't you care for you now right after breakfast we got up a rousing wood fire in the main hall it is a cold morning illuminated the place with a rich glow from all the globes of the newel chandelier spread a bright rug before the fire set a circling row of chairs pink ones and dove colored and in the midst a low invalid table covered with a fanciful cloth and laden with the presents a pink azalea in lavish bloom from rosa a gold-inscribed Russia leather Bible from Patrick and Mary, a gold ring inscribed from Maggie Cook, a silver thimble inscribed with motto and initials from Lizzie, a rattling mob of Sunday-clad dolls from Livy and Annie, and a Noah's Ark from me containing 200 wooden animals such as only a human being could create and only God could call by name without referring to the passenger list. Then the family and the seven servants assembled there, and Susie and the bay arrived in state from above-the bay's head being fearfully and wonderfully decorated with a profusion of blazing red flowers and overflowing cataracts of lycopodium. Like we congratulatory notes accompanied the presence of the servants. I tell you it was a great occasion, and a striking and cheery group, taking all the surroundings into account and the wintry aspect outside remainder missing there was to be a centennial celebration that year of the battles of lexington and concord and howells wrote urging clemens and his wife to visit them and attend it mrs clemens did not go and clemens and howells did not go either to the celebration they had their own ideas about getting there but found themselves unable to board the thronged train at concord and went tramping about in the cold and mud hunting a conveyance, only to return at length to the cheer of the home, defeated and rather low in spirits. Twitchell, who went on his own hook, had no such difficulties. To Howells, Mark Twain wrote the adventures of this athletic and strenuous exponent of the gospel. The Winnie mentioned in this letter was Howells' daughter Winifred. She had unusual gifts, but did not live to develop them to w d howells in boston farmington avenue hartford april twenty three eighteen seventy five my dear howells i've got mrs clemens's picture before me and hope i shall not forget to send it with this joe twichell preached morning and evening here last sunday took midnight train for boston got an early breakfast and started by rail at seven thirty a m for concord swelled around there until 1 p.m., seeing everything, then travelled on top of a train to Lexington, saw everything there, travelled on top of a train to Boston, with hundreds in company, deluged with dust, smoke, and cinders, yelled and hurrahed all the way like a schoolboy, lay flat down to dodge numerous bridges, and sailed into the depot, howling with excitement, and as black as a chimney sweep, got to Young's Hotel at 7 p.m., sat down in reading room, and immediately fell asleep, was promptly awakened by a porter who supposed he was drunk, wandered around an hour and a half, then took 9 p.m. train, sat down in smoking car, and remembered nothing more until awakened by conductor as the train came into Hartford at one thirty a.m., thinks he had simply a glorious time and wouldn't have missed the centennial for the world. He would have run out to see us a moment at Cambridge, but was too dirty. I wouldn't have wanted him there. His appalling energy would have been an insufferable reproach to mild adventurers like you and me. Well, he is welcome to the good time he had. I had a deal better one. My narrative has made Mrs. Clemens wish she could have been there when i think over what a splendid good sociable time i had in your house i feel ever so thankful to the wise providence that thwarted our several ably planned and ingenious attempts to get to lexington i am coming again before long and then she shall be of the party now you said that you and mrs house could run down here nearly any saturday very well then let us call it next saturday for a starter can you do that by that time it will really be spring and you won't freeze the birds are already out a small one paid us a visit yesterday we entertained it and let it go again susie protesting the spring laziness is already upon me insomuch that the spirit begins to move me to cease from mississippi articles and everything else and give myself over to idleness until we go to new orleans i have one article already finished but somehow it doesn't seem as proper a chapter to close with as the one already in your hands i hope to get in a mood and rattle off a good one to finish with but just now all my moods are lazy ones When is literature sings through me yet surely that child has one of these futures before her now try to come will you with the warmest regards of the two of us yours ever s l clemens mrs clemens sent a note to mrs howells which will serve as a pendant to the foregone from mrs clemens to mrs howells in boston my dear mrs howells don't dream for one instant that my not getting a letter from you kept me from boston i am too anxious to go to let such a thing as that keep me "'Mr. Clemens did have such a good time with you and Mr. Howells. "'He evidently has no regret that he did not get to the centennial. "'I was driven nearly distracted by his long account of Mr. Howells and his wanderings. "'I would keep asking if they ever got there. "'He would never answer, but made me listen to a very minute account of everything that they did. "'At last I found them back where they started from. "'If you find misspelled words in this note, you will remember my infirmity, and not hold me responsible. Affectionately yours, Livy L. Clemens In spite of his success with the seller's Play and his itch to follow it up, Mark Twain realized what he believed to be his literary limitations. All his life he was inclined to consider himself wanting in the finer gifts of character shading and delicate portrayal. Remembering Huck Finn, and the rare presentation of Joan of Arc, we may not altogether agree with him. Certainly, he was never qualified to delineate those fine artificialities of life which we are likely to associate with culture, and perhaps it was something of this sort that caused the hesitation confessed in the letter that follows. Whether the plan suggested interested Howells or not, we do not know. In later years Howells wrote a novel called The Story of a Play. This may have been its beginning. To W. D. Howells in Boston, Farmington Avenue, Hartford, April 26, 1875. My dear Howells, an actor named D. H. Hawkins has been here to ask me to put upon paper a five-act play which he has been mapping out in his mind for three or four years he sat down and told me his plot all through in a clear bright way and i was a deal taken with it but it is a line of characters whose fine shading and artistic development requires an abler hand than mine so i easily perceived that i must not make the attempt but i liked the man and thought there was a good deal of stuff in him and therefore i wanted his play to be written and by a capable hand too so i suggested you and said i would write and see if you would be willing to undertake it if you like the idea he will call upon you in the course of two or three weeks and describe his plot and his characters then if it doesn't strike you favorably of course you can simply decline but it seems to me well worth while that you should hear what he has to say you could also average him while he talks and judge whether he could play your priest though i doubt if any man can do that justice shan't i write him and say he may call if you wish to communicate directly with him instead his address is larchmont manor westchester county new york do you know the chill of that nineteenth of april seems to be in my bones yet i am inert and drowsy all the time that was villainous weather for a couple of wandering children to be out in yours ever mark. the sinister typewriter did not find its way to Howells for nearly a year. meantime Mark Twain had refused to allow the manufacturers to advertise his ownership. He wrote to them hartford March nineteenth eighteen seventy five Please do not use my name in any way please do not even divulge the fact that i own a machine i have entirely stopped using the typewriter for the reason that i never could write a letter with it to anybody without receiving a request by return mail that i would not only describe the machine but state what progress i had made in the use of it etc etc i don't like to write letters and so i don't want people to know i own this curiosity breeding little joker three months later the machine was still in his possession bliss had traded a twelve dollar saddle for it but apparently showed little enthusiasm in his new possession to w d howells in boston june twenty-five, eighteen seventy-five, my dear howells i told patrick to get some carpenters and box the machine and send it to you and found that bliss had sent for the machine and earned it off I have been talking to you and writing to you as if you were present when I traded the machine to Bliss for a $12 saddle worth $25, cheating him outrageously, of course, but conscience got the upper hand again, and I told him before I left the premises that I'd pay for the saddle if he didn't like the machine, on condition that he donate said machine to a charity. This was a little over five weeks ago so i had long ago concluded that bliss didn't want the machine and did want the saddle wherefore i jumped at the chance of shoving the machine off onto you saddle or no saddle so i got the blamed thing out of my sight the saddle hangs on tara's walls down below in the stable and the machine is at bliss's grimly pursuing its appointed mission slowly and implacably rotting away another man's chances for salvation I have sent Bliss word not to donate it to a charity, though it is a pity to fool away a chance to do a charity an ill turn, but to let me know when he has got his dose, because I've got another candidate for damnation. You just wait a couple of weeks, and if you don't see the typewriter come tilting along toward Cambridge with an unsatisfied appetite in its eye, I lose my guess. Don't you be mad about this blunder, Howells it only comes of a bad memory and the stupidity which is inseparable from true genius nothing intentionally criminal in it yours ever mark it was november when howells finally fell under the baleful influence of the machine he wrote the typewriter came wednesday night and is already beginning to have its effect on me of course it doesn't work if i can persuade some of the letters to get up against the ribbon they won't get down again without digital assistance. The treadle refuses to have any part or parcel in the performance, and I don't know how to get the roller to turn with the paper. Nevertheless I have begun several letters to my D.A.R. Lemons, as it prefers to spell your respected name, and I don't despair yet of sending you something in its beautiful handwriting, after I've had a man out from the agents to put it in order. It's fascinating in the meantime, and it wastes my time like an old friend. The Clemens family remained in Hartford that summer, with the exception of a brief season at Batemans Point, Rhode Island, near Newport. By this time Mark Twain had taken up and finished the Tom Sawyer story begun two years before. Naturally he wished Howells to consider the manuscript. To W. D. Howells in Boston hartford july 5th 1875 my dear howells i have finished the story and didn't take the chap beyond boyhood i believe it would be fatal to do it in any shape but autobiographically like Gil Blas. i perhaps made a mistake in not writing it in the first person if i went on now and took him into manhood he would be just like all the one-horse men in literature and the reader would conceive a hearty contempt for him it is not a boy's book at all it will only be read by adults it is only written for adults moreover the book is plenty long enough as it stands it is about nine hundred pages of manuscript and may be a thousand when i shall have finished working up vague places so it would make from one hundred thirty to 150 pages of the atlantic about what the foregone conclusion made isn't it i would dearly like to see it in the atlantic but i doubt if it would pay the publishers to buy the privilege or me to sell it bret hart has sold his novel same size as mine i should say to scribner's monthly for sixty five hundred dollars publication to begin in september i think and he gets a royalty of seven and a half per cent from bliss in book form afterwards he gets a royalty of ten percent on it in england issued in serial numbers and the same royalty on it in book form afterwards and is to receive an advance payment of five hundred pounds the day the first number of the serial appears if i could do as well here and there with mine it might possibly pay me but i seriously doubt it though it is likely i could do better in england than brett who is not widely known there you see i take a vile mercenary view of things but then my household expenses are something almost ghastly by and by i shall take a boy of twelve and run him on through life in the first person but not tom sawyer he would not be a good character for it I wish you would promise to read the manuscript of Tom Sawyer sometime and see if you don't really decide that I am right in closing with him as a boy, and point out the most glaring defects for me. It is a tremendous favor to ask, and I expect you to refuse, and would be ashamed to expect you to do otherwise. But the thing has been so many months in my mind that it seems a relief to snake it out. I don't know any other person whose judgment I could venture to take fully and entirely don't hesitate about saying no for i know how your time is taxed and i would have honest need to blush if you said yes osgood and i are going for the puppy g on infringement of trademark to win one or two suits of this kind will set literary folks on a firmer bottom i wish osgood would sue for stealing holmes's poem wouldn't it be gorgeous to sue r for petty larceny I WILL PROMISE TO GO INTO COURT AND SWEAR I THINK HIM CAPABLE OF STEALING PEANUTS FROM A BLIND PEDDLER. YOURS EVER, CLEMENS. Of course, Howells promptly replied that he would read the story, adding, YOU'VE NO IDEA WHAT I MAY ASK YOU TO DO FOR ME SOME DAY. I'M SORRY THAT YOU CAN'T DO IT FOR THE ATLANTIC, BUT I SUCCUMB. PERHAPS YOU WILL DO BOY Number 2 FOR US. CLEMENS, conscience stricken meantime hastily put the manuscript out of reach of temptation to w d howells in boston july thirteenth, 1875 my dear howells just as soon as you consented i realized all the atrocity of my request and straightway blushed and weakened i telegraphed my theatrical agent to come here and carry off the manuscript and copy it but i will gladly send it to you if you will do as follows dramatize it if you perceive that you can and take for your remuneration half of the first six thousand dollars which i received for its representation on the stage you could alter the plot entirely if you chose i could help in the work most cheerfully after you had arranged the plot i have my eye upon two young girls who can play tom and hook i believe a good deal of a drama can be made of it come can't you tackle this in the odd hours of your vacation or later if you prefer i do wish you could come down once more before your holiday i'd give anything yours ever mark Howells wrote that he had no time for the dramatization, and urged Clemens to undertake it himself. He was ready to read the story whenever it should arrive. Clemens did not hurry, however. The publication of Tom Sawyer could wait. He already had a book in press, the volume of Sketches, New and Old, which he had prepared for Bliss several years before. Sketches was issued that autumn, and Howells gave it a good notice, possibly better than it deserved. Considered among Mark Twain's books to-day, the collection of sketches does not seem especially important. With the exception of the Frog Story and the True Story, most of those included, might be spared. Clemens himself confessed to Howells that he wished, when it was too late, that he had destroyed a number of them. The book, however, was distinguished in a special way. It contains Mark Twain's first utterance in print on the subject of copyright a matter in which he never again lost interest the absurdity and injustice of the copyright laws both amused and irritated him and in the course of time he would be largely instrumental in their improvement in the book his open petition to congress that all property rights as well as literary ownership should be put on the copyright basis and limited to a beneficent term of forty-two years was more or less of a joke but like so many of mark twain's jokes it was founded on reason and justice He had another idea that was not a joke an early plan in the direction of international copyright It was to be a petition signed by the leading American authors asking the United States to declare itself to be the first to stand for right and justice by enacting laws against the piracy of foreign books It was a rather utopian scheme, as most schemes for moral progress are in their beginning. It would not be likely ever to reach Congress, but it would appeal to Howells and his Cambridge friends. Clemens wrote, outlining his plan of action. To W. D. Howells in Boston, Hartford, September 18, 1875 My dear Howells, my plan is this you are to get mr lowell and mr longfellow to be the first signers of my copyright petition you must sign it yourself and get mr whittier to do likewise then holmes will sign he said he would if he didn't have to stand at the head then i'm fixed i will then put a gentlemanly chap under wages and send him personally to every author of distinction in the country and corral the rest of the signatures then i'll have the whole thing lithographed about a thousand copies and move upon the president and congress in person but in the subordinate capacity of a party who is merely the agent of better and wiser men men whom the country cannot venture to laugh at i will ask the president to recommend the thing in his message and if he should ask me to sit down and frame the paragraph for him i should blush but still i would frame it next i would get a prime leader in congress i would also see that votes enough to carry the measure were privately secured before the bill was offered this i would try through my leader and my friends there and then if europe chose to go on stealing from us we would say with noble enthusiasm american lawmakers do steal but not from foreign authors not from foreign authors you see what i want to drive into the congressional mind is the simple fact that the moral law is thou shalt not steal no matter what europe may do i swear i can't see any use in robbing european authors for the benefit of american booksellers anyway if we can ever get this thing through congress we can try making copyright perpetual some day there would be no sort of use in it since only one book in a hundred millions outlives the present copyright term no sort of use except that the right of that one book have his rights which is something if we only had some god in the country's laws instead of being in such a sweat to get him into the constitution it would be better all around the only man who ever signed my petition with alacrity and said that the fact that a thing was right was all sufficient was rev dr bushnell i have lost my old petition which was brief but will draft and enclose another not in the words it ought to be but in the substance i want mr lowell to furnish the words and the ideas too if he will do it say redpath beseeches me to lecture in boston in november telegraphs that beaches and nast's withdrawal has put him in the tightest kind of a place so i guess i'll do that old roughing it lecture over again in november and repeat it two or three times in new york while i'm at it can i take a carriage after the lecture and go out and stay with you that night provided you find at that distant time that it will not inconvenience you is aldrich home yet with love to you all yours ever s l c Of course, the petition never reached Congress. Holmes' comment that governments were not in the habit of setting themselves up as high moral examples, except for revenue, was shared by too many others. The petition was tabled, but Clemens never abandoned his purpose, and lived to see most of his dream fulfilled. Meantime, Howell's notice of the sketches appeared in the Atlantic, and brought grateful acknowledgment from the author to w d howells in boston hartford october 19 1875 my dear howells that is a perfectly superb notice you can easily believe that nothing ever gratified me so much before the newspaper praises bestowed upon the innocents abroad were large and generous but somehow i hadn't confidence in the critical judgment of the parties who furnished them you know how that is yourself from reading the newspaper notices of your own books they gratify a body but they always leave a small pang behind in the shape of a fear that the critic's good words could not safely be depended upon as authority yours is the recognized critical court of last resort in this country from its decision there is no appeal and so have gained this decree of yours before i am forty years old i regard as a thing to be right down proud of mrs clemens says tell him i am just as grateful to him as i can be it sounds as if she were grateful to you for heroically trampling the truth under foot in order to praise me but in reality it means that she is grateful to you for being bold enough to utter a truth which she fully believes all competent people know but which none has heretofore been brave enough to utter you see the thing that gravels her is that i am so persistently glorified as a mere buffoon as if that entirely covered my case which she denies with venom the other day mrs clemens was planning a visit to you and so i am waiting with a pleasurable hope for the result of her deliberations we are expecting visitors every day now from new york and afterwards some ought to come from Elmira. I judge that we should then be free to go Bostonwood. I should be just delighted, because we could visit in comfort, since we shouldn't have to do any shopping. Did it all in New York last week, and a tremendous pull it was, too. Mrs. C. said the other day, We will go to Cambridge if we have to walk, for I don't believe we can ever get the houses to come here again until we have been there i was gratified to see that there was one string anyway that could take her to cambridge but i will do her the justice to say that she is always wanting to go to cambridge independent of the selfish desire to get a visit out of you by it i want her to get started now before children's diseases are fashionable again because they always play such hob with visiting arrangements with love to you all yours ever s l clemens mark twain's trips to boston were usually made alone women require more preparation to go visiting and mrs clemens and mrs howells seem to have exchanged visits infrequently for mark twain perhaps it was just as well that his wife did not always go with him his absent-mindedness and boyish ingenuousness often led him into difficulties which mrs clemens sometimes found embarrassing in the foregoing letter they were planning a visit to cambridge in the one that follows they seem to have made it with certain results perhaps not altogether amusing at the moment to w d howells in boston october 4 75 my dear howells we had a royal good time at your house and have had a royal good time ever since talking about it both privately and with the neighbors Mrs. Clemens's bodily strength came up handsomely under that cheery respite from household and nursery cares. I do hope that Mrs. Howes's didn't go correspondingly down, under the added burden to her cares and responsibilities. Of course, I didn't expect to get through without committing some crimes and hearing of them afterwards, so I have taken the inevitable lashings and been able to hum a tune while the punishment went on. I caught it, for letting Mrs. Howells bother and bother about her coffee when it was a good deal better than we get at home. I caught it for interrupting Mrs. C. at the last moment and losing her the opportunity to urge you not to forget to send her that manuscript when the printers are done with it. I caught it once more for personating that drunken Colonel James. I caught it for mentioning that Mr. Longfellow's picture was slightly damaged and when after a lull in the storm i confessed shamefacedly that i had privately suggested to you that we hadn't any frames and that if you wouldn't mind hinting to mr houghton etc 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 the madam was simply speechless for the space of a minute then she said how could you youth the idea of sending mr howells with his sensitive nature upon such a repulsive air oh howells won't mind it you don't know howells howells is a man who she was gone but george was the first person she stumbled on in the hall so she took it out on george i was glad of that because it saved the babies i've got another rattling good character for my novel that great work is mulling itself into shape gradually mrs clemens sends love to mrs howells meantime she is diligently laying up material for a letter to her yours ever mark the george of this letter was mark twain's colored butler a valued and even beloved member of the household a most picturesque character who one day came to wash windows as clemens used to say and remained eighteen years the fiction of mrs clemens severity he always found amusing because of its entire contrast with the reality of her gentle heart. Clemens carried the Tom Sawyer manuscript to Boston himself, and placed it in Howells' hands. Howells had begged to be allowed to see the story, and Mrs. Clemens was especially anxious that he should do so. She had doubts as to certain portions of it, and had the fullest faith in Howells' opinion. It was a gratifying one when it came. Howells wrote, I finished reading Tom Sawyer a week ago, sitting up till 1 a.m. to get to the end, simply because it was impossible to leave off. It's altogether the best boy's story I ever read. It will be an immense success. But I think you ought to treat it explicitly as a boy's story. Grown-ups will enjoy it just as much if you do. And if you should put it forth as a study of boy character from the grown-up point of view, you give the wrong key to it the adventures are enchanting i wish i had been on that island the treasure hunting the loss in the cave it's all exciting and splendid i shouldn't think of publishing this story serially give me a hint when it's to be out and i'll start the sheep to jumping in the right places meaning that he would have an advance review ready for publication in the atlantic which was a leader of criticism in america Mark Twain was writing a great deal at this time. Howells was always urging him to send something to the Atlantic, declaring a willingness to have his name appear every month in their pages, and Clemens was generally contributing some story or sketch. The proof, referred to in the next letter, was one of these articles. To W. D. Howells in Boston, Hartford, November twenty-three, seventy-five, My dear Howells, herewith is the proof in spite of myself how awkwardly i do jumble words together and how often i do use three words where one would answer a thing i am always trying to guard against i shall become as slovenly a writer as charles francis adams if i don't look out that is said in jest because of course i do not seriously fear getting so bad as that i never shall drop so far toward his and bret Harte's level as to catch myself saying it must have been wiser to have believed that he might have accomplished it if he could have felt that he would have been supported by those who should have etc 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 the reference to bret Harte reminds me that i often accuse him of being a deliberate imitator of dickens and this in turn reminds me that i have charged unconscious plagiarism upon charlie warner And this in turn reminds me that i have been delighting my soul for two weeks over a brand new and ingenious way of beginning a novel and behold all at once it flashes upon me that charlie warner originated the idea three years ago and told me about it Uh aha so much for self-righteousness i am well repaid here are 108 pages of manuscript new and clean lying disgraced in the waste paper basket and i am beginning the novel over again in an unstolen way i would not wonder if i am the worst literary thief in the world without knowing it it is glorious news that you like tom sawyer so well i mean to see to it that your review of it shall have plenty of time to appear before the other notices Mrs. Clemens decides with you that the book should issue as a book for boys, pure and simple. And so do I. It is surely the correct idea. As to that last chapter, I think of just leaving it off and adding nothing in its place. Something told me that the book was done when I got to that point, and so the strong temptation to put Huck's life at the widow's into detail, instead of generalizing it in a paragraph, was resisted just send sawyer to me by express i enclose money for it if it should get lost it will be no great matter company interfered last night and so private theatricals goes over till this evening to be read aloud mrs clemens is mad but the story will take that all out this is going to be a splendid winter night for fireside reading anyway I am almost at a dead standstill with my new story, on account of the misery of having to do it all over again. We all send love to you all. Yours ever, Mark The story referred to may have been any one of several begun by him at this time. His head was full of ideas for literature of every sort. Many of his beginnings came to nothing for the reason that he started wrong or with no definitely formed plan others of his literary enterprises were condemned by his wife for their grotesqueness or for the offence they might give in one way or another however worthy the intention behind them once he wrote a burlesque on family history the autobiography of a damned fool livy wouldn't have it he said later so i gave it up the world is indebted to mark twain's wife for the cheque she put upon his fantastic or violent impulses. She was his public, his best public, clear-headed and wise. That he realized this, and was willing to yield, was by no means the least of his good fortunes. We may believe that he did not always yield easily, and perhaps sometimes only out of love for her. In the letter which he wrote her on her thirtieth birthday, we realize something of what she had come to mean in his life to mrs clemens on her 30th birthday hartford november twenty seventh, 1875 livy darling six years have gone by since i made my first great success in life and won you and thirty years have passed since providence made preparation for that happy success by sending you into the world every day we live together adds to the security of my confidence that we can never any more wish to be separated than that we can ever imagine a regret that we were ever joined. You are dearer to me today, my child, than you were upon the last anniversary of this birthday. You were dearer then than you were a year before. You have grown more and more dear from the first of those anniversaries, and I do not doubt that this precious progression will continue on to the end. Let us look forward to the coming anniversaries, with their age and their gray hairs, without fear and without depression, trusting and believing that the love we bear each other will be sufficient to make them blessed. So, with abounding affection for you and our babies, I hail this day that brings you the matronly grace and dignity of three decades. Always yours, S.L.C. End of section 16, recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.